don't call it a comb back, I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. It's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's happened? Like the last couple of weeks, you've been like randomly critiquing your own voice during our rejoins. Just it's embarrassing. I I don't know what happened. This is the press box. He's just doing his own self critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, disgusted in his own voice. Apparently, the only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. Exactly. It's the exact same. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He can never <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. Yeah, child actor. Here we are. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Did you ever consider doing infomercials? Because I spent the last, like, two minutes furiously Googling the Flex Seal guy. Uh, the guy who is in a commercial, he's, he takes the boat out, cuts a big hole in it, and then takes the flex seal and covers up the boat okay. and then is out and like, look, it works. Is this something you need? No, not at all. But the guy is on every flex seal commercial, and I've discovered who he is. He has 106,000 followers on Twitter. Who is following the flex seal guy on Twitter? <laughs> I mean, it is. I am now following him on Twitter, but <laughs> why are you guys following this guy on Twitter? All right, I need the stations, all the stations to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> well, what if a new meme, like, what if he's like, hey, guys, I got a new infomercial coming up, and it's going to be just as good as me slapping that slapping that flex seal patch on the water leak. I guess. He new is, memes coming out, next commercial. The, the, and these are some serious tweets. It's like, we're launching our new commercial, and it's him like, we're going to save the world and stuff like that. Like, I... He thinks if your house gets hit with a flood, you just start lining your doors with flex seal. Well, <laughs> the, flood, the flood is coming. Uh, no, it's not. He should be pushing California right now. Right. He should be pushing California for some business. So I know you might have missed out on like movies and all that, Ed, but I really think you messed out on the infomercial lane because I do want this guy's got to be making a bunch of money off of this. Yeah. 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 Well. I didn't. I didn't go the information infomercial uh, highway. You could be selling us tape to protect us from floods. If it meant I could sleep in more, I would actually <laughs> do that. No, you would sleep less, Ed. <laughs> People around the world need their flex seal. The first bite. Did Kevin Kruger get out coached? All right. So last night I did text you at halftime. <laughs> Where is this game? Where is this game? There were there were four Mountain West games last night. Only one was on television. Uh, New Mexico, San Jose yeah. State. Three of the four conference That's games. That's what last I kept night looking for. Were Mountain West Network only? It's not very good for your TV deal when you get three games. But when you get to Mountain games. West Network, it is cool. That you just jump from game to game. It is. It the Mountain West Network. If you uh, have the app, like I have the app on my Roku TV, it's excellent. Now, if you don't have a Roku TV, it might be a little more difficult, but you can watch it on your computer. I watched it on the laptop, yeah. some of it. So, all right. I I got uh, a little bit of a rant here. You guys can can sit back for a minute or cut me off if you want, because I got, I got both like a micro and a macro view on Kevin Kruger right now. So, first off, I actually have a mi- me- what's medium. I've got medium, too, in between micro and macro. Medium takes. So, first off, in Mountain West play, uh, Kevin Kruger, his defensive plan, right? They they wanted to switch everything. 
And Mountain West teams have continued to expose that defensive strategy. We saw San Diego State would get a center switched on to Matt Bradley or another guard, and they'd just shoot over it because the centers would back off and give them a little bit of space. We saw Boise State would get a center switched on to a guard, and then they'd drive into the paint, kick it out when the help side came, and knock down threes. And then last night, we saw Utah State probably the most comprehensive beatdown of UNLV switching defense that we've seen because Utah State started that game throwing it into their seven foot one center when UNLV would switch a guard onto him. That guy, career high, is 12 points. He had nine points in the first five minutes of the game because he had a 6 2 guard on him and they'd just throw it in. He'd turn and lay it in. That's because UNLV switched. Eventually, UNLV is like, all right, we got to be more aggressive with our double team so they can't just throw it into the seven foot one guy and get a layup. Throughout the game, Utah State used off-ball screens that would get a switch, and a lot of times UNLV miscommunicated or didn't have the right guy popping out, but they'd use an off-ball screen, take advantage of the switch, and get an open three. And Nate or Tyler Funk, Taylor Funk, whatever his name was, who had 20 in the first half, he had a lot of open threes because of that, but even when UNLV contested him, he had two contested threes that he made, it was a 6-2 guard on him. Taylor Funk, 6-9. 6-2 guard didn't even bother his shot because UNLV had to switch a guard onto Taylor Funk. And then throughout the game, and especially late, Utah State, the same thing Boise State did, get a center or a big switched onto their guard, dribble into the paint, and get a good shot from there. Sometimes it's a kick out for a three. Sometimes you're actually getting a shot at the rim. That's Kevin Kruger's defensive strategy, and we're six games into Mountain West play, and almost every opponent has figured out a way to beat that defensive strategy. That's not good enough. It was great in the non-conference, but it has not well, been good enough. In the non-conference, they played an easy schedule, and I think in conference, you have a lot more time to prepare, and you're far more serious about right. preparing. Right, and they have gotten beat, and they have shown, Kevin Kruger has shown no signs that they have a backup plan, right? Whether that's a zone defense, whether that's just simply changing the ball screen defense, that no signs that they have a backup plan. It's just we're switching everything, and if it doesn't work, we're going down. One other super specific thing that happened last night, uh, Utah State, their game winning or their go ahead three with just over a minute to go. You know, we had the lead with like a minute yep. 10 to go. Utah State's Again. inbounding under their own basket. And Kevin Kruger had the opportunity to sub and he did not substitute. So what it meant was Keyshawn Hall was in the game on defense. Keyshawn Hall had a very good offensive game. Keyshawn Hall is the worst defensive player on the team. The whole switching thing, what Utah State did for the entire second half, switch Keyshawn Hall onto our best player and let that player attack Keyshawn Hall. The entire second half was Utah State attacking Keyshawn Hall. Kruger had an opportunity to sub Keyshawn Hall out for a defensive possession. He didn't do it. And what happened on that play, Keyshawn Hall got switched onto Steven Ashworth, who is a 50% shooter from three-point range. Keyshawn Hall then promptly lost Steven Ashworth. <laughs> who got a wide-open three, knocked it down. That was the go-ahead three and effectively the game-winning basket. Kruger had a chance to sub him out and did not do it. That's unacceptable from the head coach. You have got to get the worst defender on the floor out of the game when you have the opportunity in the final minute to sub out before an inbounds play. Well, is he getting any help from his assistants? I don't have any idea what they're doing either, but that is not good enough. There getting has to be a substitute. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that wasn't fun on the yeah, sideline either. No. There no, that, has yeah, that to be good. has to be a substitution there. And the worst part, the next Utah State possession, 
Ball got knocked out of bounds. Another chance to sub. He subbed out Jordan McCabe for EJ Harkless because Harkless is a better defender than McCabe. He still left Keyshawn Hall in the game again to defend, and they gave up an open jump shot. Wasn't specifically Keyshawn Hall's fault that time. That's not good enough. That is that is poor coaching. That is poor situational coaching, and it's just simply not putting your team in the best chance to win. All right, so there's your micro view. Here's your macro view. Kevin Kruger's roster construction, completely exposed by Mountain West play. He came in uh, both off seasons, but specifically this past off season. Defense, 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 defense. defense right? We All want long players. defenders. Right. We want athletic defenders. Right. We want defenders. Right. Great defense through non-conference play. Every single Mountain West opponent has scored over one point per, per, uh, per possession against UNLV. They are eighth in the conference in defensive efficiency right now. Eighth. They're not even good. They're bad defensively. So that hasn't worked. But the real problem. Let me ask you a question to, to figure this out. Has Kevin Kruger brought in a good offensive player in two years to UNLV? I'm trying to think of who all the people he brought in. Uh, this is going to be a reach, but Jordan McCabe. It's not a good one. I think not, I mean, Donovan to... Williams is probably the best okay, one. Donovan Williams. But that was the number two score on a team that went 18 and 14, right? Like Donovan Williams had a good year, but that we're not really talking about a great offensive player. If we're talking about the number two scorer on a team that went 18 and 14 Kruger hasn't, he hasn't brought in a great offensive player. And what they've done is they have recruited the guys that are on the end of the bench at a power five, right? Royce Ham, Donovan Williams were at Texas, Luis Rodriguez at Ole Miss. They have gone and gotten the guys that either were playing a little or Or not not playing at all for power five schools. And listen, Royce Ham was an excellent player for UNLV. Donovan Williams was awesome. Luis Rodriguez has had a very good season. They have found some good players, but none of those guys are truly great offensive players. And take a look at this year's team. Their top three options offensively. EJ Harkless, a guy that averaged 10 points per game at Oklahoma, but was inefficient while doing so. He played two years at Cal State Northridge, also inefficient there. Guess what? He's here. He's scoring more points. He's inefficient. But he's still inefficient. Luis Rodriguez from Ole Miss, I think he averaged six points per game at Ole Miss last year. Give him more opportunity. He's been a good player, but he's certainly not a guy that should be your number two or number three offensive option if you think you're going to the NCAA tournament. And then Keyshawn Gilbert, which I'll admit, I thought Keyshawn Gilbert was going to be awesome, and he was for the first he 10 was in the pre- games. He was in the preseason. But he averaged 2.6 points per game last year. Their expectation was for him to go from two points per game to being the number two offensive guy, again, on an NCAA tournament-level team. That's not realistic for those three to be your best offensive players. And that's the issue with the roster building. He tried to build a defensive power and worry about offense later, and they do not have any offensive players. And then beyond like the the top scorers on the team, they don't have shooters. UNLV's ninth in the conference in three-point percentage so far this year, and the last three games, they have allowed 39 made threes, and they've made 20 themselves. That's 57 points over the last three games that they've been outscored from the three-point line. That's 19 points a game over the last three. They're losing from the three-point line. Do you know how good you have to be at everything else to win a game when you get outscored by nearly 20 from the three-point line? You have to get to the line 25 times. You've got to make every layup. Like You have to be awesome at everything else if you're going to get torched from behind the three-point line. And that's he hasn't prioritized shooting. He hasn't prioritized getting a scorer. And the defense simply is not good enough to carry a bad offense 
His roster building has been yeah. bad. Two well, years let me ago. ask you this because I don't know overnight if you can make them good offensive players. No, I think that that's very difficult to do. But what can he do then defensively to calm the storm of all these three pointers? Uh, because I do think you can adjust defensively. You can't make these guys shooters overnight. So. My main question on that is, have they practiced any other ball screen coverage? Because the entire season, they switch everything. And I would bet they haven't even practiced very many other ball screen coverages. Because he wanted the identity to be five athletic guys that switch everything. And you should be able to put it in, but it's going to be hard where you can stop switching things. You can let, you know, if it's David Milwaukee or Victory Walker or Keyshawn Hall, you can let them play drop coverage where they stay in the paint and take away a layup on a ball screen and uh, try to chase guys over the top. That way you don't give up as many three-pointers, right? You can uh, ice ball screens on the wing. You can do a bunch of different ball screen coverages, but can you put that in between now and Saturday when they play Fresno State? Uh, Probably not. And be good at it? And be good at it. Right. I mean, Fresno State is the worst or third worst team, whatever they are in the conference. So that might actually be a place where you say, all right, let's try to put this in and let's try some th- right, stuff and see if it works against Fresno state. And then maybe we can actually have had a buy and beat New Mexico. Yeah. So that they can change their defensive coverages. Now, is it going to make them significantly better? No, but I will say, I will make, I will say this. They don't need to be significantly better to win these games, right? Lost to Colorado no, state lost, in overtime. Lost, lost to these to, guys uh, by yeah. four last night. Lost to San Jose state in overtime. This game, they were leading with a minute five or whenever that three went in, like, they don't need to be significantly better to win these games, but they need to steal a few possessions here and there and maybe and they change convert them. on those right. possessions. That'd be helpful too. So it's just, I think Kevin Kruger so far in the big picture has not done a good job of building his roster to meet what's going to win in the mountain West. And he hasn't done a good job in mountain West play adjusting to other teams, beating his defense. He just thought, this is my team. This is our identity. We're going to do, we're just going to switch every screen. We've got great athletic players. Nobody's going to beat us. And they've gotten crushed almost every time they've gone out there on defense. And we've said that when he built this team, I thought a lot of it was he built it, tried to build it in the realm of San Diego State defensively. They, I think they switch everything. Do they not? Um, uh, de- I, 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 guess, I haven't watched them enough this year to know everything. if they do. It usually but, depends on who their center is, but yeah. They, yeah, they switch at usually game, one through four. Right. Okay, it hasn't worked out. No, they are. Uh, listen, they're fifty fourth in defensive efficiency, which is still very good. They're still probably going to end up as the best defensive team UNLV's had in a decade, right? Since Dave Rice took them to the NCAA tournament. But it's but when your offense is one twenty one, that's not an NCAA tournament level team, right? And they're one and five in Mountain West play. It's not even a top half Mountain West team at the moment. So it's it's still it's it's not good. Like it's close. They're you know four or five possessions away in every game from, from winning, which is actually kind of a lot, but they're close. They're just not quite good enough. And I think when you, when you watch, I mean, the guy who had 20 in the first half of Utah state was a transfer from St. Joseph who shot really well from three at St. Joseph. They have not recruited that player. They have not recruited the guy who, Oh yeah, he shot really well at his previous school and can come to this level of play. Justin Webster is the only guy they've recruited that shot well at his previous school. That's it. Otherwise, it's been defensive players and you see Utah state run out there and it's like, Oh, they've got four guys on the floor at all times. that can light it up from three and Utah state every single year is at the top of the mountain right. West and shooting coming up next. 
Is Mark Stone's season in danger? Well, you know, we, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I told the guys last night. So we, there's a, we have a little bit of a, a, a thing in our dressing room that if you if you win a big game, you've got to chug a beer. And I haven't chugged a, I haven't chugged I haven't chugged a beer in 30 years. So I, I was thinking about practicing last night, but I didn't have a beer in the house to do it. So I went cold turkey today, nailed it. Uh, so it was a big win. <laughs> We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Coming up later on ESPN Las Vegas, we're going to have tickets to give away to go to WWE SmackDown. Also, some tickets to go see Carlos Santana. So I guess he didn't have any beer in the house. Oh, so he didn't practice. He just I wanted he to just practice. just wanted to and, and had to wait till after the game to do a cold turkey. Should have stopped at Smith's on the set. Stop yeah. at Smith's on the way home. Every shelf a six-pack. So Frank Saravalli, uh, the doctor of the Golden Knights. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Frank Saravalli reported yesterday, Mark Stone, I can say with confidence, is dealing with another back issue. That has to be scary news for the Golden Knights. Mark Stone, he played just 37 games last season. He was out from February 8th to April 12th. He actually came back for the end of the regular season as the Golden Knights tried to make the playoffs, but didn't. He then had back surgery in May. Mark Stone left, what is that now, three games ago. Left the game, did not return. There has not been an actual injury update on Mark Stone. But now Frank Saravalli is reporting that it's another back issue. Is it fair for us, non-doctors, radio hosts, to question if Mark Stone's going to be out for the rest of the season? I don't know if it's fair to question it, but there's just certain things. You know, I've talked about this. It's not a knee. It's not... And ankles, things that you know that recover from backs are not good. It, when you hear the word back, you're like, oh, that's not great. It never is. So fair or not, I think it's fair of us to say, will he be out for a long time? Because he already had surgery on his back. And if this Cervelli's right, it's another back issue. Uh, I don't think that's something you come back from very soon. The part about him having surgery before, again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a doctor, but when you say, oh, he came back and played the end of the regular season, he played through it, he's a hockey player, and then they didn't make the playoffs, and in May he had back surgery. I would take that to mean, oh, he had surgery and it's fixed and it's not a problem anymore. Well, to this point, we thought it was. He came back, he rehabbed, he played. So if, if he had back surgery and then we're talking seven months later, He's having more back issues. What what happened there? Like, is he just going to have a bad back for the rest of his career? Because what, well good. what was the surgery? Did the surgery not fix the problem? Right. Like that that again, I don't actually know what's happening, but when I hear, oh, you had back surgery, I would tend to believe, okay, they fixed it and you're good to go. At least for seven months, maybe, you know, down the line when you're 38, uh oh, back's a problem again. But seven months later, his back is an right. issue again. This to me seems, uh, is the season in jeopardy for Mark Stone and how long is his career going to last as a good player? If you're having back issues, it's not good. And for him to have two separate back injuries, or maybe it's the same one, but two back injuries in essentially a, a 12 months or so with a surgery in between, that seems 
very, very concerning about if this is a back issue. If Frank Saravalli is correct, if which, he's correct, which by the way, uh, should we go back and check? He was he ended up being completely right about Robin Leonard, right? Robin Leonard got upset and was mad right. that Frank that Saravalli, Saravalli reported what right. it was. But he ended up being yeah. completely correct in what Robin Leonard's issues were. Okay. So if Saravalli's right and it's another back injury, listen, I think you got to be concerned about obviously the short term and when he's coming back. I think you got to be concerned about this entire season and when Mark Stone comes back and what happens the and rest of his career. If he does come back, how well is he? Right. Like, is it going to be another scenario? Because he came back last year. I, I assume when he came back last year, they knew, hey, he's going to have to have surgery once this right. season is over. But he came back because it was, hey, the Golden Knights are in the playoff chase. They, they can still make it. Mark Stone comes back for, I think it was like the last two weeks of the season or whatever it was. And hopefully we can get into the playoffs here. And they did, and he had the surgery. Is he going to do that again? Like, is, there, is this going to be another scenario where Mark Stone is like, well, I probably shouldn't play, but I need to get back out there. This is just... It's a very scary situation. I mean, situation. it's a scary situation, but like you said in the beginning here, we're guessing. We're we not are. doctors. Absolutely. We have no clue what this is. Uh, if it is a back problem, if it's, you know, a uh, not as serious as the last one, and if it's as serious as the last one, it's not good because he had to have surgery on it. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. But I do think it's fair to question how long this is going to be. This is not, again, when you have a knee, they say you'll be back in six to eight weeks. Right. You know, when you have an ankle, when you have those, when you have those kind of injuries, you're like, oh, you're going to be back in this time. It's not, it's not like fine. a broken hand, or... yeah, where they can say you're going right. to be back in eight weeks. Um, backs are tricky, man, and I, I don't know what the injury is if if Cervelli's right or not. But if he is right, it is fair to question when he'll be back. Uh, quick side note: off of the Golden Knights for a second. Uh, f- Friday afternoon, I went and played basketball. My back hurt the next day. Okay. Like I, you're could, getting older. I couldn't. I couldn't. Were you on concrete? I couldn't sit up. No, we were inside in a regular gym. I couldn't sit up on my own. Like if I laid down, oh, I had to like roll over on my side. Oh, lower it a, back. It was yeah. Oh, it was a nightmare. Shouldn't have been slamming them down. It was man. a complete nightmare. And the and the the worrisome part for me was like I didn't. There wasn't like a oh I got hit in the back or oh like I felt it while playing. It was just the next day. You're old. Oh, my back is Man. killing me. I that was that was a massive wake up call. I was like, this is a disaster. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Complete backs nightmare. are tricky. Oh, complete nightmare. Fortunately for me, mine's okay now, but maybe I need to go have surgery. Like, <laughs> but good God, that sucked. I was like, oh God, no, I can't play basketball. The some problem, of the worst. Problem was, ended up playing with like kids that were like in high school who have way too much energy. I'm like, all right, let's yeah. calm down. We are moving. There's too no much. shot clock. Yeah, we are moving. <laughs> Let me just dribble for a too second. Too much. Let's relax for a minute. <laughs> Let my old man back recover here, and I'll be fine. All right, coming up next, Gilbert Manzano joins us on ESPN Las Vegas. We are not just collecting talent. We're going to build a team. We're going to look for the right type of players. Ego will not be tolerated in this organization. We are going to look for focused, driven, and people that are willing to put the team first at every step of the way. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now is Gilbert Manzano. He covers the Rams for the SoCal News Group. Good morning, Gilbert. Hey, Gil. Hey, how's it going, guys? What's up? 
All right, here's just kind of a, a open-ended question. Can can you explain Sean McVay the last couple of weeks? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, a little undecided, undecisive, I guess the words could be. Uh, but it is kind of fascinating how public he kept this, uh, you know, will he come back, you know, will he go to the TV booth, uh, telling his coaches, go ahead and look for a job. And then three days later, you know what, I'm staying. So do you guys want to come back or not? So. <laughs> Uh, it was kind of a weird couple, you know, weeks for Sean McVay, but I guess maybe he didn't want to go out with a five and twelve record. He didn't want to go out on the losing end, and maybe he had conversations with Matthew Stafford, and he just was like, you know what, I, I can't leave guys like that. I'm, I'm gonna come back. So it was a, uh, it took. I thought it would take a long time, maybe a couple of weeks, but he took he took a week and he came back, and uh, here we are. Yeah. Do you think that was the main reason? Because he's actually talked openly about wanting to go to the booth at some point. I think he'd be hired pretty fast there, and it's not the worst life in the world to be in the booth and make as much money. So do you really think that that was, knowing him as you do, that he just he didn't want that to be his legacy as like his final season and even after winning the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I think it's part of it, too. The, the, other, the other part I keep thinking about, like maybe the jobs weren't right for the TV kind of thing. Like, when you talk about leaving so much and, and saying, hey, this is my dream. I want to do this eventually. I don't know when. I got to talk to people. It just sounded like he was ready to go. Maybe he took a look around telling the TV executives, hey, I'm ready to listen. And maybe the job wasn't there. Because a lot of jobs got taken up last year. And he had that, that, I guess, you know, a good deal with Amazon to join the Thursday Night Football broadcast. And, he, and that didn't occur. So it could be part of that. But I think maybe what you said, Ed, the whole competitive side and you know, I, I've been around this guy for for only a year, but I, I have noticed that competitive side. Uh, when when the losing, when there's a six game losing streak, and you talk to the guy every single day, what the hell is going on? And the frustration comes about, come out. The red face, uh, he has a little red face. He's uh, pulling his hair hair out. So maybe it was a frustrating, you know, year. And it probably, you know, uh, he probably asked himself, "Hey, do I want to keep doing this for the, for the next ten years? I'm 36 years old. I'm young. I already accomplished everything I want to do in coaching." Should I take a look around? And I think that's what he wanted to do. He saw what happened to Al Michaels one season into calling Thursday night football and said, I can't put myself through that. That's going to be a nightmare. Uh, Gilbert, you say, so you mentioned about him not wanting to go out uh, with the season they had. Are, are the Rams going to be any good next year? Like what, how does it change to where they're suddenly back to being a contender again? Yeah. Like, like right now, if you look at the roster and they're healthy a year ago, we all assumed they're going back to the playoffs and, they have that same roster and, and say they're healthy, but you know, I think his injuries really expose a, a lot of weaknesses uh, on the roster. And, and it was kind of a, a top heavy roster. You, you go all in every single year, but you need a lot of things that break in your favor. And it kept breaking in their favor every single year. You know, besides that one year in 2019, Rashawn McVay missed the playoffs, but it really fell apart this year. And when you're just trading away all your draft picks or your first round draft picks, and sometimes your second round draft picks, you're asking these young guys who are, who are six-round picks, seven-round picks to come in and start right away and start for like a month, not just for a game. It really exposed many areas in terms of depth. And then this whole philosophy with the offensive line where, you know, they don't pay too much. I think they're probably the, the cheapest or most affordable to say the offensive line in the NFL. And it really showed this year. Besides the right tackle, Rob Havenstein, I don't know who comes back next year. It's gonna be, it could be four, four different uh, faces on the starting lineup. So, you got to fix the offensive line. You need a lot, a lot more young talent. You need, you need help because if injuries occur next year, you're going to be back in the same deficit. And then when they were healthy, this offense couldn't put up seven points on a, on a regular basis. So 
there's a lot of question marks, but when you look at it and you see Stafford and Cooper Cup and if Aaron Donald comes back and, and you see Jalen Ramsey, Bobby Wagner, there's a whole lot of star players. So you would think they could rebound quickly, but this year you, you're, you're kind of asking yourself, okay, they have a lot of issues. Did you think there was a chance they would not pick up the option bonus on Stafford? No, you know, just despite talking to Sean McVay and saying he doesn't need surgery, it's going to be fine, it's going to be a healthy offseason, we're excited for what he's going to bring. And then Matthew Stafford going on his wife's podcast and immediately saying, I'm not going to retire. So they they really, you know, went out of the way to, to, to shut that down quickly, that Stafford's okay and there's no talk about retirement. And I don't know where the rumors came, but they felt the need to say something and, and – and, I think everybody's on the same page, and the other person kind of being left out is Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's probably wondering, uh, will they pick up that option? Will he retire? Will he be you know, recovered by you know, OTAs? Uh, but other than that, I think it feels like it's still Matthew Stafford's team. They all believe in him. And, you know, Sean McVay coming back, I think, was a telling sign that they want to do it again. And that, to me, besides the whole losing part, is having the conversations with those veteran players who, who, who don't want to rebuild, like, you know, Bobby Wagner is going to go into his 12th season. If Aaron Donald comes back, that's year 10. Uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey's not young anymore. And Cooper Cup is not young either. So uh, a lot of veterans. So I think for me, Sean McVay really spoke to this, this cast here that he's committed to and saying, hey, can you guys give me one more year? Can I, should I come back kind of thing? And when you look at player, people in the eyes uh, and you see how emotional they get, they, they usually tend to sway you. Uh, but the whole Stafford thing, I think they, they're all on board that he should be okay. But when you have a concussion – and a spinal cord contusion, which I had no idea what that was until this year. Uh, and then you feel numbness in your legs after taking a sack. Those, those are all scary injuries. So, uh, But they seem to be that he's okay, and uh, we'll learn more throughout the offseason. The other team in L.A., are you surprised they're not looking for a new head coach right now? No, because that's just not the Charger way. They don't tend to give up on coaches uh, after two years for whatever reason. You could call them cheap or money-wise, or they have a long vision and they're committed, whatever you want to say. Uh, but the, tra- the track record is they don't, they don't fire coaches after two years. They tend to give coaches four years. Uh, you, know, you know, Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, you know, they all struggle, but they got four years. And from that one, one year I covered Brandon Staley, everybody in the, in, the, in the office or the building said, this guy's a genius. We love what he's doing. And you talk to the players, they all believe in him. He knows how to get, build relationships. He knows how to scheme a defense. Uh, when it comes to you know, maybe trust you, your gut instead of caring about what the outside world things and, and, and going away from the fourth downs this year. Like, that was a little weird to me. Uh, you know, the first year, I, I like that he was like, he doesn't care about the outside narrative. He wants to attack this curse they call for the Chargers. He wants to attack the injuries, and he, and he just seemed like a guy who uh, wanted to do things differently to change the organization. And then this year, just things changed a little bit. But he figured out the defense. And when you see growth on the defense, that was big. You don't want to start over again. So, the whole thing, you, you needed to point the finger at somebody, and, you know, Joe Lombardi's been struggling for the last two years, and that, that was kind of my, my, my feeling. I haven't, I haven't covered the team the whole year, so but just knowing how they operate and knowing what happened last year, I'm not surprised that they pointed the finger at Joe Lombardi. Yeah, we asked this question yesterday, and you just brought it up about the fourth down stuff. Knowing him as you did that one year, and there was a lot out side noise, a lot of criticism, especially from veteran coaches saying, what is he doing? That's the wrong thing. No one's ever done that, that you don't win that way. Was he the kind of guy who would listen to that and and change because of that, or is there any chance there was inherent pressure from management that says you got to be different than this? Why are we doing all this stuff? I don't think it was management pressure. You know, you know, I, I spoke to Tom Telesco plenty of times last year about the fourth down. He's like, no, we love it. We want him to be himself. So I think, you know, 
that's why he was hired to, ch- to change football or change the way you approach football or how you call a game. And but there, there's times where I'm like, you know, watching from the outside this time, and there's a fourth down situation. I'm like, he would have definitely gone for that last year. So I don't know what occurred. Maybe, maybe that got to him. I don't, I don't want to speak for 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 him and his thoughts, inner thoughts, and what he's thinking about that. Uh, but maybe he went more off a of gut feeling and his gut was telling him like, okay, I can't be as wild as last year, but when he was going for fourth down last year, that's why they were in contention for the playoffs. And, and, and a couple of times they really needed those. And this year it wasn't as aggressive. And when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, that's why I never had a problem with him. Like you, when you have Herbert and a bunch of weapons, you go for it on those money downs and you, you tend to get them. And this year, this offense was very stagnant, you know, you know, I can't really say much because that Rams offense was much worse. I'd rather watch the Chargers <laughs> offense any day. Uh, but I was very surprised to kind of talk to people who still cover the team and, like, they can't figure it out with Herbert. And I'm like, that, that's crazy. And I know their injuries occur. And that, that was a big part of it. But when you were healthy and you play Mike Williams and you blow a 27-point lead in the second half, th- those are issues that are probably brewing and, and, and with a young coaching staff and, and, and it all kind of came out in that Jacksonville game. And it just sucks for the Chargers because everybody was thinking, okay, this is the year you finally believe in the hype. You know, they won four games in a row. Staley's defense is finally coming out and playing well. Uh, and when you have Justin Herbert, and, and as you guys saw in that Vegas game last year, uh, week 18, he tends to deliver in prime time, and he didn't do it this this this, uh, this game. So uh, it was a big collapse, but I'm not surprised knowing this team. Gilbert Manzano with us on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, Gilbert, uh, who do you think wins the Super Bowl from here? Yeah, it's tough in, in the AFC. You know, I don't want I don't want to discount the Jaguars because they've been impressive, but it, it seems like it's coming down to Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals. And you know, they all have their own weaknesses. But I, you know, for me, it, since since week one, after I saw the Bills just dominate the Rams on Thursday Night Football, uh, I'm gonna stick with the Bills there. And the, and then the 49ers are just rolling. It's just it's funny how you can find any quarterback and put them in there, and they do well. But Brock Purdy's been impressive. Brock Purdy has some jitters in that first game against the Seahawks, and he just. Went out and balled out after that. He dominated the Seahawks. So uh, when you got Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and Ayuk, that makes life easier for you. And then when you have Nick Bosa on the other side doing his thing, that helps too. So I'm going to go with the Bills over the 49ers. All right. No All right. hope No hope for the NFC. He's Gilbert Manzano from the <laughs> SoCal News Group covering the Rams. Gilbert, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Gil. Thank you, Tyler, and I appreciate it. See you. So there is Gilbert Manzano on uh, some LA football and the rest of the NFL. What are you shaking your head at, Jared? We had the opportunity to finally ask someone who might know how much chunky soup Sean McVay is eating <laughs> on a weekly basis. Well, less now. We thought he's going to retire and that's all he was going to do. And did his contract with chunky soup have any reason why he had to come back and coach another season? You mean we might not have chunky soup commercials next year with Sean McVay? No, I think we will. But then at the end of it, he's like, okay, my contract is over. I can retire. Ah, he's got to be the coach of the Rams to get the chunky soup commercials. Oh, yeah. That's important. Otherwise, he's just a short white guy. That's right. Yelling at you soup. in your office to eat some soup at halftime. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get back into the NFL and how vulnerable the Bills are after almost losing to the Dolphins. What's coming to mind? You missing it? Not missing it? You excited about the next season? New challenge? Whatever it might be? And then... Uh kind of lean into that that feeling and whatever feels right in your body is probably what it's going to be i think it's got to be a full yes got to be like yes 100 i'm in uh, and if it's not that then you're out you're sitting in the press box with graney and bischoff on espn las vegas follow them on twitter at ed graney and bischoff underscore tyler so the buffalo bills uh gilbert manzano's pick who just joined us to win the super bowl 
Uh, they've been in that top tier basically all season of NFL Super Bowl contenders, but they struggled with the Miami Dolphins who started Skylar Thompson at quarterback, only won that game 34 to 31. Now they play the Cincinnati Bengals. How vulnerable do you think the Buffalo Bills are? Well, if Josh Allen's going to get sacked seven times again, I think they're pretty vulnerable. Uh, that's not good. I didn't, I forgot it's that he got number. sacked that many times. It's a big number. Um, I don't think he fumbles as much in terms of what he's going to do. And he's had the one loss fumble, but he did throw two picks. I think he's a lot better this game. I think he's going to be a lot better this game. So the game against Miami, if you, if you just look through this, Buffalo had 423 yards. Miami had 231. Miami was four of 16 on third downs. Buffalo was nine of 16, right? This was a beatdown. Buffalo was significantly better than Miami with one major exception. Josh Allen turned the ball over turned three the ball times. Over, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, three times. Yeah. And Josh Allen basically gave Miami a chance to win that game. He had the two interceptions and then the fumble that led to the touchdown at the start of the second half that gave Miami the lead. I'm not worried about Buffalo after that no. game because it's not like Miami did anything that was, oh, they exposed Buffalo. Josh Allen just played poorly. Now, and listen, if at any time during the season you said, hey, in the postseason, Josh Allen's going to have a bad game, you'd say, well, Buffalo's probably going to lose. Right. Yeah, because he's so much, so important. Right. And so I don't I don't think that's changed. I don't think anything that happened against Miami should change how we view the Bills the rest of the way, unless you want to look at it and say, oh, Josh Allen might play poorly again and they would lose. But well, that if he was, does that this week, I think there is a right. chance they lose. But that was always the case. If it, I mean, for if for any of these teams, right, the, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills. If the quarterback plays poorly, they lose. they're in trouble. Right. And so that hasn't really changed. The only question is which quarterback is more likely to play poorly and... Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, you can say it's Josh Allen, but I think we would have said it was Josh Allen probably before, right? The yeah. guy who's going to have the he implosion like bad of the game. Josh Allen. Yeah, the guy who's going to have the like implosion game. I think we would have said it was Josh Allen before Pat that Mahomes, game against John, Miami. Yeah. Joe Burrow, people like that. Right. So I don't think much has changed with how we view Buffalo, and now they get to host Cincinnati, and they're favored to win that game. And if they do win that game. They're either hosting the Jags or they're going to Atlanta, to Atlanta for a for neutral, neutral site. site with Kansas City, which I think I'm cheering for now just because it, it's that's stupid. Well, it's, just, it's just unique and it's, and, it's stupid. And dumb. We're going to be like, we're in Atlanta for the right. Bills for and the AFC Championships. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. But here we are. Bills uh, fans are complaining that Atlanta police officers are telling them to get down off that table. <laughs> Is there room in Atlanta to dive through a table? I just have to assume there's a bunch of people in Atlanta who don't know that there's like a sporting event going on going, oh, that would oh be great. God, why, where are all these hillbillies coming from? <laughs> that would be phenomenal. Just if, people, if the, if the city had no clue. Just people in Atlanta are just walking around random parking lots like, what why are, are they there so doing with bills the and mustard? People? I will say that that's how it felt last year when the Super Bowl was in L.A. Like I was in L.A. and I'd talk to people and they're like, oh, that's happening this oh, yeah. year too? Yeah. I was yeah, there too. here. <laughs> I was there too. You could find people who literally, I don't know if they had no idea, but they had no care about it. Yeah. They were just like, could like you guys move? Care. Yeah. is too big of a city. There's going to be so many people there that don't even, don't even know don't what football care, is. Don't care, don't know, or don't, you know, has it's nothing like, to do with it. Like the Rams? That team's here. Yeah. 
Yeah. Never heard of them before. Yeah. It's too big of a city. Do like, they have uniforms? <laughs> so it's uh, Bills Bengals. The other question I have for you. Do you believe the Cowboys is one of the last eight teams left? Legitimately can win the Super Bowl. Yes. Yes, I do. Look at you. Yes. Optimism. I've now. come over it. Well, look at that. The degenerate's a Cowboy fan. He's betting against them. So given how he bets. Uh, I'm going to say yes, that they can win it if they play, de- if they, if their offense, if he doesn't turn the ball over like the other night and he plays like the other night, meaning Dak. So he just needs to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah, well, again. That might be true. We'll have to see this week, but I do think they're contenders. So the optimism for Dallas is they were top 10 in the regular season, EPA wise, offensively and defensively. Which is really good defensively. Which is generally what you 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 need to be top ten in both to be a a legitimate Super Bowl contender. There are teams that obviously go that aren't top ten in both, but for the most part, if you're top ten offense and defense by like EPA or any sort of efficiency metric, you got a really good shot to go to the playoff or to go to the Super Bowl, I should say. The problem though is San Francisco and Philly were both top five in offense and defense by EPA. So they have to, most likely, we could see a Giants upset, but most likely they're going to have to beat two teams that also fit the category of top 10 offensively and defensively by EPA. And that's and both will have to be on the road, which is a hard thing right. to do right. if you're any team. So I think they are legitimate contenders to win the Super Bowl, but they're in the same situation as the Cincinnati Bengals right now, where... I think they're both good teams. They both absolutely can win the Super Bowl, but their path is two road games against two really good teams, and that just is very, very hard to pull off. Line sticking at four. It's fair. Yeah. I think it's a fair line. It's it's a good San Francisco 49ers yes. team. who conti- Here's the thing with the 49ers. They continue to put up like 40 points every game. But the 49ers' schedule has been relatively easy. Cowboys' defense is, I think, probably the best one that Brock Purdy is going to have played so far. Yes. So I think it's... He won't have to do anything. That is true. But I think it is fair to look at it and say this might be the game where Purdy actually has to make a throw for them to win. In the past, Purdy's made some good throws, but it's like, ah, we won by 17. So even if you missed that, we would have been fine. This might be the one where Purdy has to make a fourth quarter throw to put the game away or lead them on a touchdown drive to actually win it.